Hi, welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Abstract. How are you, Dan? I am doing really well. I'm uh, a little nervous to go back to clinic soon after the uh, chaotic calm of the end of grad school, but I'm excited for the change and for our episode today. It'll probably all be uh, hindsight 2020 uh, rose-colored glasses. It definitely feels good to be on the other side. I'm sure we've quickly forgotten all the traumatic parts of the experience. Today's episode um, is a little different than what we typically do. I have solicited a few questions from my followers on Instagram. I asked them, uh, what do you want to know from a recent PhD graduate slash MD-PhD student? And I got a bunch of questions and I chose some and I was thinking we could answer them today. This is the power that comes from having a large social media following that you get to solicit the questions. And then I am totally blind to these questions. I haven't seen them before. <laughs> so I'm on the hot seat. Derek, take it away. That's right. All right. So the first question for you, Dan, is how did you choose your area of research? It developed organically over time. In my specific case, I was interested in the brain in college and in the ways the brain can go wrong. And toward the end of college, I got excited by the potential of genetics to teach us underlying biological mechanisms of the brain. You know, the brain, as opposed to the blood, it's hard to take samples from, it's hard to study directly. But genetics is a very powerful tool for understanding the brain. So I found opportunities after college to do research in the genetics of brain disease. And I found it really exciting and fulfilling and challenging. And through that, I decided to go to graduate school to learn more and do more work and to continue to pursue that same area. What about you, Derek? My very first lab in undergrad studied heart disease, specifically heart valve disease. And we worked with mice, of course, and I really enjoyed it. And I kind of just like really enjoyed the work. I did a lot of like imaging, some cell culture stuff. So in the beginning, I thought like I only want to work on the heart, like it's the coolest organ. I never want to work on anything else. And it wasn't until I uh, started at the NIH. My lab at the NIH specialized in heart development, um, but we had this one project on testes development. They had this really interesting mouse with an infertility phenotype, and they asked me to work on it. And at first I was a little like, testes, that's like kind of weird. Like I don't really want to work on that, but I kind of just said like, whatever, like I'm happy to have a project. So I worked on it and I actually really enjoyed that too. And it wasn't until then that I realized that I'm more attracted to like kind of like specific techniques such as immunofluorescence and microscopy than I am to really specific areas. So that's kind of what informed my work in grad school. I mean, I've talked about on a previous episode how I really enjoyed my OBGYN rotation and I saw kind of like a void in research on the placenta. Um, but I definitely also chose projects like based on 
my technique that I really enjoy, projects that utilized a lot of imaging. And um, that's kind of how I actually like ended up in vascular biology. It's not really because like I loved vascular biology, but I just saw it as like a way to use a skill I already had. Yeah, I think that's a important distinction that some people think about. It's whether you want to go to graduate school or work in general to pursue a approach or a technique like microscopy, computational genetics, and it doesn't really matter where it's applied, just that it's the most exciting area where you can be, whether that's the heart or the brain. And it doesn't matter if it's from a cellular approach with pipettes and mice and experiments or looking in large population data sets to understand patterns of human genetic variation that seem to increase risk for the disease. You're sort of agnostic to the approach as long as you care about the specific disease. And they're both equally valid and interesting, and they're just different approaches to research. I just had a funny like image in my head of you holding a mouse and using a pipette. <laughs> that was me for one month, summer 2017, never went back. I'm sure it's as funny as imagining me trying to like do computational stuff. I can like barely use my email. <laughs> <laughs> we complement each other. Yeah, exactly. So the second question is, how was your experience with the application and interview process? This is kind of a fun question, especially for us, because uh, Dan and I actually met while we were interviewing for MD-PhD programs. And we actually met on both of our first interviews, which was in an unnamed institution in Chicago. And, you know, I really enjoyed the process. I mean, there are definitely very stressful elements to it where you you feel like you have to be on your best and that like every interaction counts a lot. But I also really enjoyed like traveling and like seeing different cities and and talking to people both faculty and students and other people that you're interviewing with and seeing like kind of the different paths that took all of us here. If I had any advice for people going on interviews, I would just say like have fun with it. It doesn't have to be only this really stressful process. It can be an experience where you learn and, and meet other people as well. Clearly it can be a fun, productive process because we're here working on our goofy podcast many years later from those... What is it? Seven years later, right? <laughs> Something like that. Lost track. I try not to count too closely. <laughs> but I guess one thing I'll say about how to come across well in, uh, for example, a grad school interview is I think what people are looking for is that you have tested the hypothesis that you want to be in whatever graduate program you're going into. So if you want to go into a PhD program, it's important to have done some sort of research beforehand to test it out for yourself and not just that you have a hypothetical notion that you would enjoy doing research, but that you've actually done it and that you've experienced some part of what it might be like. So for instance, for research, an inevitable part of research is setback and challenges and having to think creatively and resiliently during those times. And 
those are experiences that you can have before in college or in research after college. And I think that's exactly the sort of content that they are looking for in written applications and during interviews. I would also say just be yourself. Like, I think you'll get the most out of it if you're authentic and you also want them to accept you for who you are, not like someone that you're trying to be that you're not. That hits deep. Okay, my next question for you is, how did you manage your time in graduate school? Any tips on time management? I'm particularly interested in your answer to this because you worked a lot from home, right? And I feel like that can be even more difficult Mm. to kind of separate um, to have a good work-life balance. Yeah, I think in terms of goals and keeping yourself on track, I think the PhD in grad school can be one of the most challenging. In contrast, in medical school, it's like every day you wake up and there are seven hoops you have to jump through and you know what the hoops are and people can help you get through and you jump through them and then you're done and you get a check mark. In grad school, there are many fewer hoops. There's one large hoop at the end of your dissertation that involves research you've done and there are hoops along the way, but I think it's important to make hoops for yourself as you go along to keep yourself on track. So I think one way this can work well is that uh, most people have regular meetings with their research supervisors, whether that's the head of the lab, the PI, or uh, more senior staff scientists or postdocs. And those can be helpful opportunities for you to organize your projects and think about where they are, the questions you have, and where you want them to go, and even to put together a couple slides in advance of that meeting to help synthesize the work that you've done and sort of make another checkpoint for going ahead. So I guess all of that is to say that I think staying structured and Um, aware of the different goals, the weekly goals, and then the long-term goals, and the um, really project management um, is important for keeping yourself on track and um, making projects progress. Yeah, I really like that idea of setting goals for yourself, because if you don't do it for yourself, really no one else will. So there's a large element of like self-motivation in graduate school that is is a little different from medical school. For me, the most important thing in graduate school was not burning out because I, I burned out pretty quickly in medical school, just like studying all the time and taking tests and stuff like that. So I set pretty strict boundaries. I, you know, got to lab at 10 o'clock and I would leave usually at around four or five o'clock and I would not do work when I got home. One thing that made this easier was the fact that I had a work computer. So I would store all my data and everything only on that computer. So even if I wanted to work on stuff from home, it was really, really hard. But really setting hard boundaries and, and not burning out was, was key for me. All right, my next question is, how did you manage pressure to publish? So this is kind of one of those things that people in academia don't always like to talk about, the fact that like it's great doing all this work, but our method of communicating our work is through publications. And it is a very real metric that the people who give you grants use, that your thesis committee uses, that like your, your mentor will use. 
So there is definitely pressure to publish. I think a lot of people, and I think this is particularly present at institutions like Penn and Harvard, is the pressure to publish really, really well. And I'm talking about like nature and science and cell papers, right? But what I've kind of learned over the years is that good science really just speaks for itself. And just because it's in not one of those like super high impact journals doesn't mean it's not good science. Actually, a lot of stuff in those high impact journals isn't great science. And I think as long as you can be confident in what you're doing and that you're doing good work, the likelihood is that there is a journal out there that will accept your work and the pressure becomes a lot more manageable. Now, I think the process of publication, it has a lot of flaws. The publishing infrastructure and how it's used has a lot of flaws. But really, a publication is a summary, a description of the work that you've done. It is really a way to wrap up a project and have it as a um, neat package that you can build on and that hopefully others in the field can read and understand and build on as well. Okay, Dan, so our next question comes from someone who says, how did you finish without depression or anxiety? I'm drowning. That's a really important question. Um, You know, there are mental health challenges in graduate school, and I think for good reason. Graduate school is hard. It is uh, intellectually hard, and it's intellectually hard in the bizarre way that you can be really smart and be trying really hard, but everything is uncertain. You don't know if your project is going to work. And going through that process of trying really hard and um, having the results not come back as you hope is challenging. Built into that, a lot of work in graduate school is pretty solitary. You know, you're part of a lab and others are going through their, their um, uh, projects, but they're often in parallel and you're sort of on your own. I mean, you're hopefully supported by your lab, but your work is yours and it can be hard to be on your own and feel like you don't have the uh, the immediate sort of support or camaraderie of, of people working on the um, same project. How to stay well in that context? I think there are a number of things. I mean, I think that there are aspects of labs when you're trying to decide where to do your work that you want to look out for. Do people in the lab seem happy and supportive? It's important to talk to people in the lab before you join. You would be surprised some people in, you know, very productive labs are not happy and it's, you know, can be cutthroat and competitive and it's really important to um, keep that in mind. The second thing I'll say echoes something that Derek said before is really kind of setting boundaries and thinking about wellness. Um, Grad school is a marathon, not a sprint. It is a multi-year endeavor and no one can sprint work for many years. And it's important to, before grad school and as you're starting, think about what are the 
resources that you need to be well. That's, you know, taking time for exercise and being social and seeing friends. Many uh, university programs have uh, individual talk therapy that you can access at various points, which can be a helpful resource and other support infrastructure that it's important to take advantage of, whether it's through the school or through your own network of friends and family who uh, will be there to support you along the way. I completely agree with what Dan said, and I really want to emphasize what he said about like having a really good support system. Your friends, your family, and your lab mates and your mentor are going to be the people who get you through graduate school. So some of that hopefully you already have coming in, like hopefully your family and your friends are already supportive, but some of that you choose. So choose a lab that's supportive. Choose a mentor who will be understanding when life gets in the way and you have to take some time off and choose lab mates that are helpful and will help you take care of your cells or your mice when you have to go home for two weeks to see family or or whatever. Like having a good support system is absolutely critical and um, you know, oh my god, I like am thinking about like my thesis defense acknowledgments where I was like bawling like a child. <laughs> but it really is like it takes a lot of people and and it's really helpful to have all those like support systems. So our next question is from someone who's a second year PhD in neuroscience. How often did you deal with imposter syndrome? Honestly, I deal with imposter syndrome like just about every single day I have since the very beginning and from the people I've talked to you will until like the end of time which sounds a little sad and like not very encouraging but I think the flip side is that like everyone's kind of struggling with the same thing the thing that helps me a lot is like learning to have the courage to admit when you don't know something I think that's like the thing I'm most scared of is like people finding out that like I don't know stuff But what I've come to realize is like, yeah, I don't know stuff and that's okay. And other people also don't know stuff. And there's stuff that I know that they don't know. There's stuff that they know that I don't know. And if we're like all okay with that, then like what is there really to be ashamed of? Like nothing. So I think like getting the courage to be like, hey, I don't know what this means. Like, can you explain it to me has has really helped me. I think that's great. And one thing that I want to say is when you're in grad school, you are in training. It is school. And the point is not to be perfect, but the point is to learn. And I think it's really important to be honest with yourself and with others when you need help and you don't understand. And anybody who's worth being around will not judge you for asking questions more often than not, other people have the same questions. And I think something that I wish I had done at various times in grad school was just be more open with whatever I didn't know and um, sort of quicker to ask questions because, you know, as you um, go on and on in your career, you know, people expect you to know more and more. But Grad school in particular is a time when it's totally cool not to know lots of things and just to take advantage of that as as uh, sort of that license to ask questions and learn in that way. And I think that that can help to 
alleviate some of the framework of imposter syndrome because you're not trying to emulate perfection. You're trying to be a early learner and maybe in that framework, that'll help feeling of imposter syndrome. Absolutely. What would you do differently if you could go back to your first year of your PhD? And what advice do you have for someone starting their PhD? Great question. I think that when you're starting your PhD, the biggest decision is what lab you're going to join. And that's really the biggest decision that you'll make in all of graduate school. And I'd encourage people not to rush that process. I think it's easy when you see your fellow graduate students in your program, picking their labs and getting settled and getting off to the races. And maybe then you feel pressure to join labs before having you know, done that last rotation. But it's really a worthwhile investment to spend as much time as you need early in graduate school to do the research about which lab you want to join. And I think doing good research about that takes a lot of time even before you do a rotation, because rotations take a long time and are a lot of effort, you really want to talk with lots of people in the labs, lots of different labs, to get a sense of, do people seem happy? Are they excited to go to work? Do they feel supported? And to really be um, thorough and um, careful about which lab you join. And that's just a process that takes a long time at the beginning. And whether it takes six months, nine months, a year, a year and a quarter, all of that will, for the most part, come out in the wash at the end because most PhDs take a while. So it's either a while plus a little bit of time or minus a little bit of time. But at the end of the day, it's really worth trying to get the lab decision as right as possible. Do you know of people who regretted the lab that they chose? I know people who aren't very happy, don't have great relationships with their research mentors and are excited for it to end. I do too, yeah. I feel fortunate that I was in an environment where I felt really excited and supported, but that's absolutely not the case for everybody. And sometimes that's inevitable. You can do as much research as you want before joining a lab and it just doesn't work out. And that just happens sometimes. Um, but I think when you are thinking of joining labs, talk not only to the current lab members, but the people who were there in the past, because those people will be particularly honest with you and if you find people who have good reason that they were not happy there, I would definitely um, uh, take that warning. Yeah. Do you know what's funny? I think that, you know, I also know people who regret the labs that they joined or just like don't have, didn't have a great experience, don't have a good relationship with their mentor. And in like 95% of the time, these red flags were already present when they joined. They just chose to ignore them. So really trust your instinct in terms of choosing a lab, like choose a lab where you feel like you will fit in and be supported. It ties back to a lot of the other things we were talking about earlier. Yeah, you know, I think it can't be overstated how important it is to join a lab with a PI, the head of the lab, who is a good person. Um, 
the science will change, projects will succeed and fail, but this is somebody who will be a part of your professional life for your whole career. And if they're a good person, they'll attract other good people, other people will like them, and it'll be this nice, happy, positive feedback cycle of um, being in their sphere. And um, that's really, you know, some cool paper that they published recently is not what I would focus on. I would really focus on the people, particularly the lab head and the sort of culture that they create. Totally. All right. Our next question is, do you feel accomplished? I'm currently writing and questioning if this will ever end. Uh, This is a funny question because I think the question I got most after my defense was, do you feel different? And the answer is no. I literally felt exactly the same. I thought I would feel like super proud of myself, that I would feel like different and changed. Like I have a PhD now, but honestly, the predominant feeling was probably just like relief that like it was over. And if your expectation is to feel vastly different and like proud, I think it's great if you do, but but it's also okay if you don't. It's okay if you don't feel like different and it's okay if you don't feel like super accomplished. Like the truth is like you are very accomplished. You just did a very big, hard and... <laughs> did a big, hard thing? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being... Please keep that. <laughs> We're going to have the... Uh... <laughs> Unrated uh, aftercuts of the BTA, the outtakes. As I was saying, the truth is you did do something really cool. And I promise like the writing will end, like you'll get through it. it it's just time passes. But I think people have mixed feelings um, after it's all said and done. Yeah, I think there's a wide range of how people feel. I think that probably the most common feeling is relief and happy to be on the other side, especially towards the end. It's a lot of work to get over the finish line to get all of the just logistics in order and even the process of the dissertation and the defense. I think that some people feel sad it's over, that they love grad school. Some people couldn't be more thrilled. Um, But at least for me, you know, when going through the dissertation and the defense, it doesn't feel like anything's changed and nothing has changed since last week. But if you go back to the beginning of grad school, I think most people would feel like they'd learned a lot and had grown intellectually and professionally. And that's the comparison that you want to focus on. For me, it was definitely a lot of mixed feelings. Do you feel ready to go further as an independent scientist? What a question. I don't feel ready to start a lab. Thankfully, that's not what's being asked of us now. For better or for worse, the scientific training process before independence is long, and almost everybody after graduate school goes on to some sort of additional training before they are independent with a capital I. Running a lab it's kind of funny because the science is only part of it. It's a really complex game of personnel management and grants and all sorts of other um, elements that aren't as emphasized in grad school. And those skills you gain later on. And I don't think anybody really has in grad school. And 
to be honest, are never really taught to you. They're just sort of expected that you know it and learn on the job. Yeah, I would agree. I'm also not ready to start a lab, but I am ready to find out what it is I want my lab to study in the future and to kind of take like the the natural like next steps into starting a lab. You know, for us, like there are a few things in between finishing med school residency before we go on to do like like postdoctoral or like additional research training. But I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it. I'm ready. I did feel at the end of graduate school, I was like, okay, I think I got what I was supposed to get out of this. And I I, I want to find out what's next. Okay, Dan, my last question for you is, was it worth it? And did you have fun? Short answer, yes, worth it. And I did have a lot of fun. I think, you know, we're at the end. We we just defended. All of the hardships in the middle are a blur. So it is a little biased. But I feel personally that I learned a ton, had a great time, was lucky to be in supportive, stimulating lab environments. And you know, if you're interested in research and science, there really isn't a time other than graduate school when you can have have such freedom to explore and do work without the constraints and responsibilities that come in at other times, whether thinking about setting up your own lab or running a lab and all of the responsibilities that come with that. It's really a unique period to just think about sort of growth and science and learning unencumbered from the notorious logistics and challenges that come with science at other stages. What about you, Derek? It was definitely worth it. And not just from the scientific perspective. What I really enjoyed about graduate school is that you really have control over your own time most of the time. You get to set your hours, like you decide when you want to show up and like no one really will like check up on you. You know, there are elements of that that are hard, but I really liked it because it afforded me the chance to travel. Like I got to go all over the world for like conferences and stuff. I just really liked being in control of my own time. There aren't very many professions, in my opinion, that allow you to be so flexible. You know, a profession like medicine, where you're expected to work like 12 hours a day, your time is controlled by someone else. Um, But that's not really always the case in research. So I liked it because of Um, the opportunities it afforded me to do things outside of research. I'm already nostalgic for the logistical independence of grad school, staring down a orientation schedule tomorrow, which is scheduled down to the hour. I haven't had a schedule down to the hour in many years, but here it is again. I joke a lot that I haven't set an alarm in like three years. I just wake up when I want to and make my little breakfast and my coffee and then I go to lab. But now it's like blaring alarms at like 530 in the morning. (laughs) Back at it. Back at it, Derek. Back at it. All right. So that's all the questions I have for you today, Dan. Did you have fun? Was it as bad as you thought it would be? Hot seat wasn't too hot and I was... uh, uh, 
glad we could turn the hot seat on you as well. Well, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate hearing your perspective on grad school, and I'm sure other people do too. We'll have to do this a couple more times as we head back into the clinic and medicine and give a insider's view on all the function and dysfunction of the hospital. Only time will tell. Yeah. All right. Until next time, Derek. See ya. Bye.